Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. We are moving on this morning. Last week, we chatted to Nora Conway of Pieta House about the fact that there are there's a growing number of problems with mental health at the moment and problems as well with suicide uh, across Limerick City and County. And we know it's a problem that City and County has struggled with for many years, but at the moment with the pandemic and with the lockdown and uh, the difficulty accessing services, uh, we just feel that it's a, it's a problem touching many more families than it usually would do. And with that in mind, we're going to talk this morning with somebody who has written a book which may be of big help to people who are struggling with this problem. Maura O'Sullivan lost her husband, Pete, to suicide in 2018. He had depression and one day he went for a run and he just didn't return. Maura's written the book about her experience and the pathway to inner strength and dealing with what happened. A Quarter Glass of Milk, The Rawness of Grief and the Power of the Mountains has been released by O'Brien Press and Maura is on the line with us this morning. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning, Gillian. Uh, thanks for having us on. Maura, I, I haven't read the entire book, but I've read the first part of it and it is so incredibly moving. It really is. It's it's frightening as well. It's I mean, the story, you start right from the very beginning, um, right in there uh, on the day that uh, Pete took his life. But he, he, you thought he had gone missing at first. Yes. The thing about depression is that it changes the person so entirely. Like Pete was a confident, amazing, brilliant man. He he travelled around the world working for the likes of Concern, Goethe, South Africa, South Africa, amazing husband, a brilliant father. And I remembered whenever uh, whenever he was well, we once had a conversation of, I just happened, came up about suicide. And he, I remember so clearly, he said, I have no idea why anyone would want to take their own life because he loved life. And so when he went missing, I was convinced, oh, the Pete I knew, the Pete I love, would never take his life. But what I hadn't realised that was depression had taken that Pete away. And he had gone for a run, dressed early in the morning, up and ready and out the door, and just didn't return. Yes, and uh, and the mountain rescue found him a couple of hours later, and he had taken his own life, and our world has not been the same ever since. Maura, you've young children. I do. Um, they were three and five years old when Pete died. And the thing about depression is, and suicide is that people sometimes think it's a selfish thing to do. But really, that is absolutely so not the case. Pete started to believe what depression was telling him, namely that he was a bad father he was a bad husband and the world would be a better place without him. And he really believed deep down that he, if he removed himself from our life, that our lives were better. And that's why I wrote the book, because with the hope that if somebody has suicidal thoughts, that maybe they pick it up and they would think, I would never want to put my loved ones through anything like this. You talk to me a little bit about your running, Maura, because... That is part of the recovery process for you, but you were a, a very serious runner um, all along. You you have achieved some things that I would not have thought were actually possible. 
Yeah, I started mountain running in around 2006 and I love running and I love the mountains and it ended up becoming a bit of a passion where I would run for maybe 24 hours, over 100 kilometers and I would just love it. And, um, you know, when I had my children, actually running was very beneficial to me that, you know, at the end of the day, children are 24-7 care responsibility and it was just heaven to be able to nip out the door for an hour and just go for a run. The funny thing is, though, whenever Pete passed away, running wasn't there for me. And I, I bring this up because sometimes people say run, running is the panacea for everything. It fixes everything. But it didn't fix my grief. So when I would go for a run, I had lots of feelings and emotions and thoughts that I had to keep bottled up for the, for the sake of keeping the family on the road. So when I went back for a run, the feelings and emotions would just come flooding out. And on one, more than one occasion, I had a panic attack when going for a run. So I had to shelve it. Instead, I had to walk. Unfortunately, I started to walk in the mountains and I met other like-minded people who loved walking in the mountains too. And that became the place of our, my healing. And when you were running, though, you, you, that's where you chose to run was mountains. I mean, it's a very different form. And Pete was a runner as well, which you mentioned, like that's the day he disappeared. He'd gone out for a run. So it clearly didn't have an impact, enough of an impact on his depression either. Do you think there's too exactly. much emphasis on, on, on telling people to exercise to, to, to cure depression? You know, there's a wonderful thing that happens where I live, where every January... It's called Kenyuri, where people are encouraged to exercise and to go up and down a mountain uh, every day for the month of January. And uh, it started by a doctor who had, was, his waiting room was full every January of people who were suffering from mild to moderate depression. And instead of actually prescribing the medications that they wanted, he gave them Kenyuri. He said, you're meant to go up and down that mountain for the month of January. And not only did they start to feel better, but also a community form. And so outdoor exercise, it is, yes, it works for a lot of people, but it doesn't always work. And I think that's what was always so frustrating about what happened to Pete was that he was doing the right thing. He, he'd given up work. He'd given up alcohol. He was taking medication. He was doing meditation. He was doing exercise and still it didn't work. And I think that's what's so hard about depression is that, I think we're still struggling to know what to do with it and how to how to to, to cure it, um, because at the end of the day, it is a sickness of the brain. Um, and I want, and, but one of the parts I want, the reason I wanted to write the book was to reduce the stigma around mental health and the stigma around suicide. Because if we break the stigma, then we can talk about it, we can find the cure, and hopefully in twenty years' time, we'll be saying, "Goodness me, can you imagine? People actually used to take their lives because of depression." Mm. And I want it to become a thing of the past. Maury, you speak in the beginning of, of the book about that stigma in terms of like your own friends and acquaintances, maybe acquaintances is better, um, you know, people who would have met you after Pete had died and made no reference to his death might talk to you about your your running achievements and, and things that you had done. Because do you do you think that was because of stigma or people just not knowing what to stay, say to you? I think it's a bit of both. Really, they just didn't want to upset me. Um, and in fact, you know, I really appreciate when somebody just came up and said, I'm thinking of you or um, I'm really sorry for your loss. 
uh, one of the things that I thought that was advice that I've heard for people who are trying to support somebody who's going through grief is show up, listen, don't fix. Literally show up. You know, I heard people saying to me, if you need anything, let me know. And I, all I could think was, I don't know what I need and I don't have the energy to ask you. So the people who actually were the most helpful, which was literally showed up, they would come and say, do you want me to take the children to the park? Here, have a cooked dinner. They were brilliant. And equally, those people who, who just listened and didn't try to fix, didn't say, ah, sure, it would be better. Ah, sure, he's in a better place. It was the people who said, you know, what you're going through is really hard. And they were the people who I felt, yes, you understand me, as opposed to trying to fix me. And I think that was the best advice to people, give people who don't know how to support somebody who's grieving, just show up and listen to them and don't try and fix them. Is it more difficult um, to talk about your grief when that grief is brought about by suicide? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think because you have a lot of un- unanswered questions about why, especially whenever Pete was such a lover of life. And how could depression do this? How could he become so changed that he would then say, I, I don't, I can't live anymore. Um, but grief is grief and loss is loss. And there are so much similarity between even somebody who's lost a job or lost a pet or, or lost something they really love. It's still all loss. And we still have commonality there. Tell me about the title of the book, A Quarter Glass of Milk. How did you come up with that? I was chatting to a friend and I was trying to make sense of how I was feeling. And I said, you know, myself, Pete, and the boys, we had such a brilliant life, even to nine months before Pete passed away. You know, we had we a happy family. We were had jobs we loved. We were living a place we loved. We had, we had everything we really wanted. And it was like I had a full glass of milk. And then the smallest thing happened in terms of just Pete being ill, losing a little sleep. That's all it was at the beginning. And I felt like with his passing, the glass was just tipped over and it was spilled. And I said, said, said to her, I don't, I, I feel like I shouldn't be crying over spilled milk, but that's all I want to do. All I want to do is sob. And now I feel like the glass has been turned back up again. And I can see there's some remaining. That the yes, peat is gone. Three quarters of my glass of, my, of milk have gone. But the quarter is remaining that, I'm still here. The boys are still here. We're still alive. And so I felt like at that time that I had a choice. Do I cry forever over the three quarters that are gone? Or do I get on with the quarter that is remaining? I heard it put in a different way as well. You know, am I somebody who says, why me? Or do I say, what now? And I think that's a choice we all are faced with when we experience grief and loss. So for you, Moira, the the mountains were a huge um, help in recovering. I'm just thinking at the moment, like, I just love to go climb Keeper Hill. And it's not not the biggest mountain in the world. (laughs) It really isn't. But it's outside my 5K. And it kills me, you know, um, that we can't do some of the things at the moment that, um, you know, we'd we'd like to do and we can't enjoy as much of our nature Mm -hmm. as we might have been able to do when we weren't locked down and, you know, confined to a five kilometre restriction, which we're hoping will be lifted fairly soon. But um, 
<laughs> yeah. What have you any other advice if somebody hasn't a mountain near them? What other things helped? Well, I think for me, my recovery was very much based on doing something I love. Now, for me, that was being in the mountains. But I know that I live beside the sea. There's a lot of people who are going wild swimming. Or it could be even something as reading or writing or anything, something you love. And equally, being with people who you love. Now, of course, that's actually what's hard as well about the pandemic is not having that, that social contact. But even reaching out over the phone or whatever. So doing something you love and, and being around people who love and support you, there's the key as opposed to necessarily being able to travel into the mountains. Do you think that there's enough support for people like yourself, Maura, you know, people who have lost a loved one, a family member to suicide in this country? I've been very fortunate. Now, I live in Northern Ireland, so I've uh, had great um, support from Pips in Uri, and they are a bit like uh, Pieta House down south. And, but I think the thing is that there, you have to reach out to them and you have to be willing to go through the, those processes. And um, But whenever you do reach out, they are there to help. And I've had ongoing counselling and support. And also, the, my children are doing very well. They, are, um, they, they draw pictures of Pete all the time. We talk about Pete. We laugh and remember things about Pete. But I, I know that I, that I have the contact that if something doesn't go right, where if the grief becomes too much as they grow older, that I can access those services uh, uh, quite readily. Yeah, well, I think a book like this is such an important one because there are people who who struggle to reach out to those services sometimes. Mm-hmm. And even still, even aside from the services, having somebody's personal story is, is a huge help to, to be able to, you know, dip into and know that they're not the alone. They're not the only one that has gone through something uh, like this. So I think it's great that you've written it and it's called A Quarter Glass of Milk, The Rawness of Grief and the Power of the Mountains and it's published by O'Brien Press and available presumably online is where people have to buy it at the moment more, I assume. Uh, yes, it's available from Ethan uh, or direct from Brian Press or, of course, from Amazon. OK, well, thanks very much for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Maura O'Sullivan and the book is A Quarter Glass of Milk. Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more.